Hello there, and welcome to the very first show of the year of The Men's View and Chloe Too. We are excited today, as always, because we have a very, very wonderful show lined up for you that we believe is going to help a lot of people, uh, especially men and the women that they love and the people that they love. Today's show is the NBA and the real game of life. What does it take to win at both? I am very excited because I have not spoken to two gentlemen that I absolutely admire, Dr. Marvin Thompson and also Glenn Barker. How are you doing today, Marvin Thompson? Happy New Year, Chloe. It's good to hear from you. It's been a while. Hope you, your year's ha- been off the start. Yes, it has been a while. It seems like it's been longer than what we've actually been waiting around to get back to this show. We're not waiting around because we've all enjoyed some time down and a great holiday. So I'm really happy to be back and I can't wait to hear more about what you've been doing over the past two or three weeks. And and Glenn Barker, hello and Happy New Year to you. And how are you doing today? Hello, Chloe Taylor Brown. Hello, Dr. Thompson and our listeners back from a a needed and welcomed but feeling like a long break welcome to 2015 looking forward to a great year (laughs) well as you would always say uh you know glenn this is a really really important time for for all of us and i'm really excited about this show today we're going to be interviewing Rick Brown, who's a former NBA basketball player and European champion, and he's a father, and he's also an advocate for young men and boys, and he's also my husband, so I'm excited about that. And Glenn, I will turn this over to you to lead us today, and you can just have me to come back in whenever you like. Very good, and thank you, everybody, and welcome to another edition to The Men's View, and Chloe, too. So... Let's do as we always do. Let's check in. Let's do a round of check-ins. Dr. Marvin Thompson, tell us about what you've been up to, maybe some developments in the Lighthouse Foundation. Fill us in on your last well, couple of weeks. How are things progressing? Well, thank you, Glenn. I took off, actually, Christmas Day and the day after. I, and believe it or not, I did not do any work. I know you both find that hard to believe, but I didn't. But it's been a really busy couple of weeks, and uh, the Lighthouse Foundation is moving along pretty well. I added a new component to it, and I'm looking at adding an early childhood component to uh, our model. When you take a look at what's happening with our families, we begin to think about how we can reach um, teen mothers um, and first-time mothers in early childhood programs and connect them through that K-12 process. So that's been the biggest focus for me in the last couple of weeks. Very good. And as more and more uh, organizations, even like my own, uh, the Mankind Project Chicago, the more we look at causation, the earlier and earlier do we want to look into where does this begin and how can we avoid by interceding in some way and helping men, young women, children uh, to develop into the kind of productive and, and happy and healthy human beings that we like to see for themselves in our society. And I have uh, every expectation that you would gravitate in that direction because that's, that is the focus, isn't it, the early, early years? Well, like you said, man, if you can, if you can stop a problem or, or get to the root of it, that's when you really have the biggest opportunity to affect change. You know, if you're dealing with it while you're in the middle of it, 
you're really just managing it. And this whole effort is about to create a whole new perspective and a new paradigm for families and how they look at their futures and how they approach their futures. So let's get them right at the very beginning when they're beginning to to start setting a vision and a path for their families and for their young people. And for a lot of these young mothers and first-time mothers, they don't have good examples of that and, and they don't have uh, all of the tools they need. So this is a good opportunity for us to get them early and then keep that going all the way through high school. And I've been seeing these kind of uh, efforts, wonderful efforts, I believe, by many caring adults looking to younger and younger and coming in to help. So congratulations to you, Dr. Thompson, on uh, on the right focus for the right reasons. Uh, Thank Chloe you, my Taylor, brother. <clears throat> Chloe, <clears throat> Chloe Taylor-Brown, uh, what have you been up to? I don't want to spill the beans, but I do know that uh, you've been gotten some offers in this uh, these past few weeks, and fill us in. Well, I'm... Doing, I'm being more authentic to myself, and I. This may sound a little weird, but I've been discovering myself by hanging out with you two gentlemen every week, and because, as I say always, what you're sharing is universal for men, women, boys, and girls. So, and just learning how to be more vulnerable and transparent, I realize that. The real Chloe is the girl who wants to have more fun. Uh, I want to laugh a lot and just be my real authentic self. And when I took a step back to look down on myself, I saw that I was doing some things that were that that I was doing maybe for money or I don't know, maybe I got caught up in in a few things. But I have decided that I'm going to. Well, I am. I've already started this year, 2015, being an international model, lifestyle model again, not high fashion as I was when I was younger, but lifestyle model. I'll still continue to do the radio show. And I want to focus more on young women and girls as Dr. Marvin Thompson, the work that he's doing with the Lighthouse Education Foundation, and just now in sharing that you're adding that component for early education, I feel the same way with my Girl Swag Initiative. And so if I were to really go back and think about the root of what I love, it has to be young women and girls. And so that's the decision that I made and I'm so excited about it. And I feel even more girly now, guys, uh, making that decision. (laughs) Did Did you just say more girly? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and yes, so that's of, what I've been up to. And this world of business and, you know, taking care of business and running things, it is a feel for many as a very masculine world. And if there isn't some fun in play, and I wish that for all of us, that you come to a point where it really is about where is my heart? Where is my true gifts? What's my real giving? What's my give back? And what feeds me? What nourishes my spirit? And when those things can come together for individual, I make up, Chloe, that you're saying money is not the most important thing. It's how I feel about what I'm doing is the most important thing. Would that be a fair yes. thing to say? Absolutely. And I, and truly, I feel so great. And I've been waking up smiling and giggling. And I had my first modeling uh, photo session on Tuesday. And I was really surprised and in kind of in awe that everything I knew as a model just came right back to me. 
So it made me giggle. Like riding a bike, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. And to me, that's the signal that I hope we all pay attention to. And that is not necessarily that there's a beacon of light that pulls us in our, in our way of our dreams and visions, but sometimes it's the roads that dead end that say, not this way. And that's just as powerful a signal, is it not? Yes. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. You know, I'm, am I beating this thing to death? Am I beating myself up? And why? You know, and then pause. And this sounds like a wonderful time for you, Chloe, and you too, Dr. Thompson. Am I right in saying that? Absolutely. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. Any and what about you? Yeah. <laughs> and Glenn Barker, I'll check in around. Um, I, I am very much on the effects side. So my whole stance in working with men and younger men uh, but not not pre-K and, and kindergarten, folks. I am on the effects side, so I'm so glad to have you two uh, on the on the front end because very much I've I work on the on the affect of the grown adult that is facing trials because of the long history of either ignoring or not having options or not believing in options for themselves, and this many times is a sad a, a sad affair when a man, in particular men feel they don't have any options left and or they have limited options or they come to believe not the best of themselves but the limitations of their beliefs and yet this is my this is my charge and i've been fortunate to have many years in this work and for me it is the fit it is the place where i'm supposed to be and i'm most happy to be able to tell you that this is now becoming more and more of a national attention the focus on men and boys and what it takes to really nurture the male and to be responsible, productive, powerful, respectful adult, because that's what they want for themselves. And this is what we've been advocating for 30 years, and it's coming to fruition. I'm getting reports and calls from all over the country of great programs, mentoring programs popping up, many folks asking me if I'll be a part or to advise, uh, all the way up to some proposals possibly going to the White House. So I'm very excited for those prospects. And with that, how about we bring out our guests? Is Mr. Rick Brown with us today? Hello. Yes. Hello. Hello there. Yes, guys. How are you today? Hey, Very doing good great. Day. How are you? Great, and great. Yeah, I've been on since since two o'clock. I was just just letting Chloe know, so I'm jumping <laughs> in now. <laughs> Very, very good. Well, welcome to the program, Mr. Rick Brown. We've known of some of, your, uh, of some of your efforts, but please, would you fill us in a little bit about yourself for our listeners who may not know you, and a little bit about your past, how you got started, winding up in the NBA, all the way to where you are today. So would you fill us in with a little bit about you? Yeah, well, I just, I just read one of, one of Chloe's tweets, and her, uh, she just sent out a message about me, and that, that was really a big deal to see that in writing, all, all of the accolades and, and the uh, accomplishments that I've, that I've made uh, for for everybody out there. Yeah, I'm a former NBA player, European player. Um, I started playing actually, um, you know, as a young kid growing up in Mississippi. Um, I thought I was really really good then, and I was I was being somewhat recruited. In the um, when I was ninth and tenth grade, and not not necessarily for college, but to go to a different high school to get more for to get more publicity, to um, to get to a bigger bigger university, 
Uh, I started that process when I was in the ninth, tenth grade. A coach contacted me from uh, he was he was in Atlanta, Georgia, and he contacted me when I was in Mississippi when I was in the ninth grade and said, "Hey, why don't you come to Georgia? You know, why don't you come to Atlanta? We can win some championships here. You can get a great scholarship." So after a year of talking it over, you know, I finally went came here, came to Atlanta. Uh, 11th and 12th grade and won back-to-back state championships. And so uh, after that, you know, I did I did get all type of offers. I remember I remember back then my my high school locker was full. Well, actually, I had two lockers. One of my lockers was full of of letters from universities from colleges all over the country. So so that was that was a big deal back then. So I chose to go back to Mississippi, Mississippi State, to be exact, to go back to Mississippi State so my parents and, and relatives and friends could see me play all the time because back then, believe it or not, we didn't have ESPN. CBS wasn't covering games like that. So, you know, so I decided to go back there and uh, had a great career, obviously, um, you know, I had I had a really good college experience there, and um, wind up getting. Um, we did go to NCAA tournament one year there at Mississippi State, and I wind up wind up being a first round pick for the Golden State Warriors, uh, and uh, that that was a great that was a great experience. Also, wind up playing with some great players out there. A uh, couple of Hall of Famers now, uh, and I won't mention any names, but I played with a couple of Hall of Famers there, and uh, was fortunate enough to get traded. I call it fortune because I came back to Atlanta to play for the Hawks and uh, play play for a few years here, and then I decided to go to go to Europe, go to Italy, and play because I'm a, I'm a man of the world. That's, at least that's what I thought. <laughs> that's what, that was my thing. <laughs> at the time, so I want, yeah. So I wanted I wanted to see other things, see other places, and uh, big big history person. So it was great to go over there and and uh, and do that. You know, to see to see another culture, to see another part of the world. Being being from such a uh, small town that I was that I'm from. I think you left something out because uh, one of the reasons that you actually decided to play basketball in Italy was because I was modeling there and we were away a lot and you just couldn't take it anymore. You just decided you would just well, come over and hang out yeah, in I, Italy I just, too. <laughs> say that. Well, I don't want to overwhelm the audience with all that. You know, so it's a whole other story with that too. Yeah. <laughs> a whole other story. <laughs> but but There's yeah, guys. Wrong with that. It's very romantic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, guys. But I um, I do listen to your show. I do know about the show, obviously, and I was looking forward to to being on the show with you guys today. Well, thank you, Rick. And if if it's okay, what I'd like to do, you know, there are all, there are many young men that would see this and they're hearing you now, and they're maybe saying to themselves, "Oh, that's for a special man. You know, that's only for the select few." Like like. Rick Brown, he's had a blessed life, and it's all been easy for him, possibly, and he had all this talent and all these gifts, and that's not me. And so we do celebrate you, Rick Brown, for what you've been able to accomplish. But if you would, 
go back to those first days. You was there any struggle between leaving home, being recruited to go to another high school, the disconnection from family, the possibility of knowing not knowing anybody and being good enough in a new town? What would be an inspirational story if you have one of what it took for you to not stay home or maybe it was safe and take that risk to help empower other young men not only who are, have basketball dreams, but other dreams to take that risk. Can you speak to those early days, Rick? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was a big deal back then for me to do that. Um, my father didn't want me to do it. My mom, she, she, was, she was somewhat uh, on my side for, for wanting me to do it. But um, for me, and, and if a... And for me myself, it was it wasn't it was difficult. Okay, it was it wasn't an easy road. I had to live with a different family, a couple of different families. Uh, I had to do a lot of different things. I stood out in the crowd. The guy, the people at the high school that I went to thought I was from another country, not America. You know, they was like, "Wow, you so tall and skinny. Where did you come from?" You know, <laughs> you never saw someone like me before. But I would say. For for the young men that's out there, uh, there's there's no easy easy way, uh, easy road uh, to make it to a college, a professional, I mean a college program, professional college program, or or to be a professional player. All the players you see playing today, I, I would say in in the, in the 2000s. I mean, they probably had it a little easier than the players who came out in the, in the 90s. And those players probably had it easy, easier than the players who came out in the 80s and so forth. Every generation goes through another struggle. Sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's not. Because you always hear about players coming from the inner city having to go through the roughest neighborhoods just to get to school. Just to get to school, man, they have to dodge this or, or not walk down that street. Or, you know, they have to go out in 30 degrees below weather to walk to school. You always hear about about young guys in the rural having to walk two or three miles to school and not having shoes, not having the right kind of shoes or the right kind of clothes to get there. But it's all about your drive. It's all about your motivation. It's it's not it's not easy to get to something that you really want, and a lot of times these these players nowadays, I mean they 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 do they do think it's easy for them to go. All they got to do is have a talent, but no, nowadays in the, in the 2000s now, the NBA, I would say professional football and definitely pro baseball. They get players from all over the world, all over the world. So it's not, it's not a, a cakewalk. It's not so easy for them to step out and be a professional player in any sport, because the professional teams got so many, so many players to, to choose from these days. And so yeah. I would tell, go ahead, please do. Yeah, I would tell any young player, young person that hey, you got to be not only a good play on the court, but you got to be a good character player also. You got to be a good good student. You got to have, because they have, they, they look at the whole package now. 
these are the yeah. team. They look at the whole package, not just what you can do on the court. I'd like to or ask Dr. Thompson. And so, Dr. Thompson, if I can have you come in here, you have dealt with young people in your uh, and, and schools and everything, and address, if you would, that piece that Rick Brown brought up about he. So he gets a blessing from his mother, and here he's got a, uh, the father is like he's not on his, he's not in on this. And ha, have you seen that inner family struggle with a with a young person that has potential, where part of them wants to go, then there's a big drawback. Because they're the one that's breaking the mold in the family. Would you speak to that, Doctor Thompson? Because that is breaking the cycle. Speak to that. If yeah. You well, I, Rick, I'm so glad that we're you're on and we're talking about this because there's a there's a delusional thinking in in communities. I don't care where you are about becoming a professional athlete, and you're absolutely correct. It's not just the talent alone. And in my my experiences, I've had parents seven, eight-year-olds and go, oh, they're going to play in the NBA or they're going to be an NFL quarterback. And I'm sitting here going, this kid can't even read. He can't read a playbook. And what these parents don't get, and I was a college athlete, you know, every Monday you got a playbook that was thicker than the textbook that you had, and you had to figure that out and know every piece of it to be able to keep your job to play on Saturday. So I'm looking at these parents going, you just watch TV. You have no idea what these men and women have had to do to get to where they're going. And we're just talking about the things that you mentioned, the character pieces, the discipline, having to look the other way, having to, and that you described, just walking to school, depending on where you grew up. And a lot of, our, a lot of athletes come out of some very challenged communities. And they've had to be stronger than the average person. They've had to be more focused. They've had to make more sacrifices. So a lot of times when I hear my experiences with athletics and kids and parents getting kids to pursue it, they look at one dimension and one dimension only, and that's the game. And the best athletes I have played with, and you have too, I'm sure, Rick, play with people who were not the best athletes in the world, but they were the most disciplined athletes in the world. They were the yeah. most disciplined. They were the most focused, which made them better than the raw, talented athlete. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's why I tell tell my boys, tell my my two boys that, hey, you ha- you got to be, you got to have, you got to be a student of the game. You just can't have the talent. You got to know. You got to read situations. You know, you got on the court. You got to read situations. You got to know about the game itself, not not just rely on your talent. Yeah, and and you know, for a lot of families, or when I say families, I hear a lot. Glenn, you asked me about my experiences with families and athletics, and their child may show some uh, a spark of athleticism early on, ten, fourteen years old. And as I, my son plays college basketball, and I, I reminded him early on when, before he was 10, boy, there's somebody out there dreaming what you are. They want the very same thing. The question is, how hard are you working to get it? How much more do you want it? And how much more of it will you learn to get there? And I don't think that total picture is always portrayed that way. And television doesn't help because we glorify our athletes and we, you know, we're watching the game. That's all they're supposed to do. We watch them. They entertain us. But we rarely ever talk about what it took to get there. And Chloe Taylor-Brown, uh, you too. Now, you'll be working with young women, and that's your, that's your calling. 
Now, same thing. You're going to do this glamorous model that's had this charmed life, and I'm sure that young girls will look at you and say, you had it easy. You know, you're beautiful. You had all this opportunity. Talk about the struggle and what is the reality for young women that parallels this with men, between family, their own aspirations, and speak to that if you would. Well, kind of like Rick, I grew up, I started to know about modeling at age 13. And unfortunately, and fortunate at the same time, it was on the date, the same day that my mother's funeral, um, There, my mother died in a car crash when I was 13. And I believe that her cousin was trying to cheer me up, or maybe she was being uh, truthful, but she told me that I was tall and I was cute and that I could be a model. And I really didn't know what that meant, but it was, it, I felt good with someone telling me I could be something because quite frankly, I, I don't remember anyone telling me anything before that. And so I held on to that. And I think about the age of 14, maybe a year and a half or so later, I started to understand what that meant. And I really just held on to that vision for myself, even through the laughter of people laughing at me and thinking that that was impossible. But I held on to it. And finally, uh, I shared it with uh, a few people when I was 16 who thought, yeah, she can be a model. And just with them encouraging me, it made me feel better. And then I learned that I could major in fashion in college, and uh, and I did. But it was a great challenge because I, there were no role models for me. I didn't have anybody recruiting me. Uh, it was just my vision for myself. So it was a struggle. And I remember after college and moving to San Francisco to be to pursue my career and also to be with Rick, um, I did have somewhat of a depression because I was sophisticated in Mississippi, but that didn't translate into S San Francisco. So I was really kind of a country girl and I didn't know how to be what I, who I wanted to be and to do what I wanted to do. And uh, so I didn't know where to go besides uh, counseling and therapy. And that was maybe for a month or two. And I got enough confidence from that to discover self-help. And after I got my self-help, and got an agency, I was really mentored by my agent. So it wasn't easy at all. It was a great challenge. And every phase of going up, even going to be an international model and a high fashion model in Milan and Paris, that was another challenge. So I say that any big thing that we want to do uh, doesn't have to be basketball. It could be writing a book. It could be being the, the best dad or uh, being an engineer, being the best teacher, whatever it is, is your heart's desire. If you want to get to the top, then you're going to have some challenges. But I say, see where it is that you want to go and then connect with the people who can encourage you to get there. Now, I have a question for Mr. Rick Brown. Mr. Brown, there is a new term that's being uh, spawned in our society. It's called code switching. And what that means is that uh, the ability for someone to adapt when they're out of their environment and through, into a strange environment. This happens when uh, young men come from, say, inner city, then they go to a all-white college out of state. And it's talking about how do you acclimate to a whole other kind of environment to where you don't feel isolated, alone, and the odd man out. Would you speak to how you adapted leaving so early in life to go to another town, to live with another family. And what you said was, they thought I was from another country. 
How did you right. code, how did you code switch in order to adapt? Because this is a very very big part of whether the challenge of our young people. Could you speak to that, please? Right. My my thing with that is I I had to make and form new relationships. I had to communicate to people that I didn't that I didn't really know or that I wouldn't normally communicate with. Um, uh, and that that was just that was just one aspect of it. And when I went to Europe, it was a whole another different type of adapt uh, adaptation. You know that that was really a big challenge. So getting getting back to the to the high school part of it, um, I remember. You know, I, I didn't I, I didn't I felt like I didn't fit in um, outside of the school system. I didn't have a lot of a lot of friends. My first year there, the first few months there, the first year, you know, but it, it was difficult. But with the family situation, I mean, they, they um, I, like I said, I did stay with a couple couple families, um, and so they they kind of adopted me. Luckily, they didn't have they didn't have one of the families didn't have uh, didn't have a lot of children didn't have children. Period. So it was just me there for some months, but. Uh, that was the biggest thing, forming those relationships, uh, communicating how you felt, you know, telling, telling, I was telling people, you know, about how things, things were for me in Mississippi and, and the reason why I wanted to come here. And they were, they were all forward as far as trying to help me achieve, achieve those goals in that, in that two year span. Cause it was just a two year period that I was here. But uh, I would say that was the biggest thing is, is just the, Form, form those type of relationships and and open up and communicate to communicate to the people how you really feel. So that was a I would risk like you to had say, to, and that was a risk you had to take, right, Rick? I mean, yeah, you could have yeah, recoiled was, from that, but you chose to take that risk. For what reason? Right, that was that was a, definitely a risk, but a risk and a challenge, you know, because I was I had my eye on the on the bigger prize, you know, I had I had my eye on going to college after after those two years was over. So if, to me, it was it was a it was a calculated risk, uh, one that I knew I could achieve, but I knew there was going to be obstacles. But I didn't know what type of obstacles that were, you know, until I got here. And because uh, I didn't I didn't see my my immediate family, you know, the first year I saw them for Thanksgiving, you know, they came over for some games, you know, I, I think I went I did go home for Christmas, you know, stuff like that. But other than that, you know, it was a really big uh, adjustment and a big challenge for me back then. And so, Dr. Thompson, would you also speak to this? Because you'll be providing this landscape for young people to dream bigger than their neighborhood, bigger than maybe their family of origin. What is it that you may speak to that would encourage a young person to say, it is worth the risk because that is what? How are you, how are you going to bring that support system uh, in, in the work that you do? Would you want to address maybe that that arena of code switching, taking risks, and possibly suffering the consequences of that. Speak to that, Dr. Thompson. Well, I, I think the, one of the first things, is, as Rick was talking, is Rick, you seem to get it and understand that there were two different landscapes, you know, and somebody pointed that out to you very clearly. You know, that code switching, um, the youth today don't feel as if they have to. I don't think they understand the awareness and the impact of not doing it. And that that greater picture out there is where they're headed to. I don't think a lot of young people are pointed in that direction. 
prime example, going back to our earlier conversation, Rick was talking about his goals um, and being a, a professional athlete. One of the things that you could hear in his conversation was school and all those other pieces were equally as important. In today's youth, they see one thing and one thing only. And often I'll ask, what's your backup plan? 1% of 1% makes a professional athletic team. So the odds are that your chances are very slim. I'm not saying you're not going to make it, but what's your backup plan? I can't tell you the number of times that they just stare in the nowhere as if, what, are you kidding me? That's what I want to do. So it's not, it's not so simple as just that one dream. They are so disconnected from the mainstream requirements, skill sets, setting goals. And in, in our society today, we're in the creative market where these young people have an even greater opportun- opportunity to set and determine their own course because they can create their markets. They, can, they have a better opportunity than any of the four of us talking because we had to go and establish markets that are now breaking down, and now we're into creativity, and they're missing that opportunity. They don't have to be the superstar on the court or the field. They can be a superstar in the market. I don't think that that itself has been shared with these young people in the context for the purpose of learning, the purpose of behavior, and the purpose of dialoguing and, and code switching and adjusting behaviors and looking and inter- looking at the world differently and interacting with people for that purpose alone. And, and hence why the Lighthouse Foundation, one of its focuses is to, you can't just get it through the child only. There has to be some reinforcement at home of these very concepts. So a lot of our parents don't have that view either. Wonderful. And Chloe Taylor Brown, would you speak to the first time the balloon bursts? So as children, I'll put out there that there is this ideal, this grandiose, this uh, grandiosity of a child that says, of course, I can change the world. I can make all this happen. But when that first balloon bursts and you say, maybe I'm not good enough, someone says, who do you think you are? Uh, what are the challenges that you would say, Chloe Taylor Brown, that were early in your career where you almost said, maybe they're right. I don't have the right stuff. Would you speak to that? Yes. And there were individuals asking me, who do you think you are? (laughs) Uh, And of course, coming from Mississippi, who did it? Yes. Who who, who was I to think that I could actually become a a model? Um, In my mind, I didn't think about Europe at the time. I thought New York. And uh, so that was not as scary. But I held on to what I knew the requirements were, not what other people were saying. Because if I were, if I had paid attention to what other people were saying, I would never ever have even said it out loud because I would have been afraid that they were going to continue to laugh at me because of course they did laugh at me. Um, The first time when we were in a, I don't know what class it was in high school, we were all asked what we were going to do. And I, all the kids said different things. And I said, being a model. And I'm telling you, they they were rolling on the floor laughing at me. And uh, I had a male teacher who actually stood up for me. Mr. Moore said, wait, wait just a minute now. She can actually be a model. And he spoke about my height and the body type. And I'd never heard that. I just wanted to be a model. And so then that gave me assurance a little bit to say it a little bit more. 
And my Aunt Anita, who was very instrumental in my life and helping me to feel good about myself and how to be, how to walk, each of her friends played a role in developing me as a teenager before going to college. And they really poured into me. Uh, one uh, taught me how to speak. I'd go to her home and sit on her sofa in her living room. And if you know anything about the Southern living rooms back in those days, you just kind of looked at it. You didn't sit there. Uh, there was another one that taught me how to do makeup, my makeup and my hair and how to walk and be proud of my height and not be ashamed of it. So they all played major roles in, in helping me. So by the time I got to college, I knew for sure that I was going to be a model. But then again, I had that wake up call when I got to San Francisco because I had to reinvent myself all over again because that sophistication didn't add up to the urbanity of San Francisco. So as Rick was saying earlier, every phase and stage that you're going higher in your life or in your career, you're going to come up against some type of challenge that you're going to have to break through. And what, what, what did it for me was support of other women. And I think that's why I love supporting women and girls today. Thank you for that. And coming back around to Mr. Rick Brown. So, Mr. Brown, was there a time when you, when you felt either public, private humiliation, the thing came up, said, you know, am I, am I doing the right thing? I'm all alone. No one understands. And maybe I should give this thing up. This is going to be an inspiration for the younger men who, when they, that first balloon busts, they'd like to go home. But you didn't. You, you went on. Would you speak to that? Oh, yeah. I always, <clears throat> always had that, I always had that in, in my mind, that, that, and I was, I was there for a reason. And um, believe it or not, I had I had a few a few obstacles there uh, coming out, but I didn't let it deter me from 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 the big picture, from the big dream I had. Um, I just I just kind of I'm not a confrontational kind of person, so so you know when I got into a little altercations or a little arguments with 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 some not so friendly guys in, in the high school setting, some guys that was more, wanted to steer me in the wrong direction. You know, I kind of just took it up on myself to not follow them. Uh, I had all kind of opportun opportunities, obviously, to take another path, skip school, you know, go hang out with the guys with, with the high school cars. Mm -hmm. You know, they had the yeah. cars, they had the girls. You know, they were, they were doing this and doing that. But I couldn't do it. You know, I had I had to stay there. You know, it, it was it wasn't necessarily tempting, but it was it was something that I could have done had I had I had that type of mindset, thinking that you know I could have I could I could do this and get away with it, or you know I don't have to work as hard as, as this guy because I'm tall and have talent. You know, I didn't I didn't want to get into that type of situation. So you have to be mentally strong uh, when it comes to something like this because. Coming through nowadays, coming through middle school, you're going to have temptation. High school, definitely, you're going to have you're going to have obstacles and temptations out there. And uh, you know that's, that's the one thing I preach to my to my son over and over. You know he he gets so tired of me telling him that. He said, Dad, you always say the same thing. I say, Yeah, I say the same thing over and over again because I'm standing for a reason. Because I know you're going to run into it sooner or later. Every kid out there is going to run into some type of situation, so they're going to have to ask themselves, oh, gosh, 
should I do this or not? This 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 might get me in trouble. Mm-hmm. So so you have you have to be mentally strong with that also, and, that, and that's you know, that's that's a big part of it, the mental aspect of it. And Dr. Thompson, you're a you're a man that's going to have a whole foundation based on asking uh, young people and their families to break the mold. So what happens when that first bubble bop uh, breaks of the dreamer that says, See, "I thought it was going to be this way, but it's really much more difficult." What do you, what do you, what do you, what would you propose to those that are right up against that wall, right up against that fence, looking through it, saying, "But I had my first disappointment," and everyone's saying, "Told you so." What's next for that person, Dr. Thompson? You got to you got to know the road that you're traveling on. Uh, and I was listening to Rick. Rick, if you could for a minute, and I'm going to get to that. Rick, what was the thing that made you say, "I'm not going to go do this" or "I can't go do it"? I mean, you made the decision, but there was something that said, "I better not." What was it? Oh, because you know when I was coming up in high school, and well, actually middle school in Mississippi, I used to go to the high school games. And I used to admire, admire these high school players. They looked like, well, they were grown men to me. Um, I was I was out there watching them, and uh, I see them. Right, they 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 win, they win in all these games. They beating these beating these good schools, and I saw a couple of them get scholarships to college. And then a couple years later, I see them back in Mississippi hanging out on a corner. And I was like, wow, I'm not going to be like that. Yeah. So you that, that was ranking. Go ahead. in the back of my mind, just seeing these guys who had all this talent, and then two or three years later, they back, not doing anything. Yeah. So I never and, and, see like that stuff. So that was, that was a part of my motivation. Yeah, and, and Glenn, that's, that's the part that, Rick, probably you developed. And not probably, you did. It's knowing the end. Where am I going to end up? Where am I going to go? It's not just that one place, but it's all the pieces that go into the journey. And and parents have got to be that guide. My mom and dad, when we started talking about helping in school, I knew one thing. Don't bring any C's, D's, or F's home. That's all I knew. And, and let's just be honest. When they talk about parental involvement today, man, most parents can't do algebra. They can't do calculus. They can't do half the stuff that we're doing in school. They got other things, forgotten skills, whatever the case may be. My mom and dad said this: "Boy, don't bring me no C's, D's, or F's." That was it. If I wanted to go somewhere, I wanted to be an attorney. I can remember all through middle school, I want to be a lawyer. Well, you know what my dad did? He brought me every law book he could find, anything about being an attorney. By about the 10th grade, I went, I don't think I want to do this. So one of the things that parents should do, and it's their responsibility, you don't have to steer your child in a specific, specific place, but know their desires, know their ambitions, and help them understand, one, what it takes to get there, what obstacles they're going to face, and get, have them make a commitment to it. You know, being an athlete, we know one thing. That's going to end one day. There are no 60-year-old football players out here. There ain't no 45-year-old point guards or centers out here. So at some point, that's going to end, even if you make it. So life has to have a bigger picture than just the moment. And good parents steer their child in good decision-making, knowledgeable decision-making. And they don't have to have done it. They just have to show an interest in it. 
And those are the things that children rely on. You know, the absence of that type of direction in our society with our kids is what leads kids to gravitate towards gangs or external and peer pressure because there are little consequences or fewer little direction about how to respond and how to plan. And at this point, we're eating up the clock in, in a very, very wonderful way, but I would like to fast forward a bit. Uh, Rick Brown, you went, then went to college, you were recruited into colleges, and then there came a time to go professional. At the same time, you started to raise a family. Now there's this man on the road, and, and uh, Chloe, you too, as a professional on the road, and you're starting a family. And how did you possibly juggle what you felt was being a good parent and being following your ambition. Um, Rick Brown, would you, would you address that? Because that's, for many, young adults, right. not to be an absent father and pursue your right. dream. Well, I would have to say that I picked the right wife, picked the right, right wife, because I had to uh, trust in her to do what she thought was right and to do what what we what we talked about that we how we want to raise our kids how we want to raise our children uh she did a phenomenal job uh she was there six months out of the year i would say maybe more just her and and of course she had she had help as far as babysitters and names and stuff like that but uh she definitely she definitely um was holding down holding down the home front and you have to have that that's that good that's why it's called a a partnership um she she did everything that that we talked about that we agreed upon to do and i couldn't i couldn't have not done it without it without her um you know my my kids are great i mean they, they had a really great childhood they traveled they studied they had fun and it was all due to her to her diligence and her determination and her and her loyalty to to the family, and so I really appreciate that so much. And and I I couldn't have, could not have done it alone. Believe me. So, Chloe Taylor Brown, when you speak to if we speak to young young families and those that are you have a breadwinner and you too have your own aspirations, how do you balance these things? A young family without betraying a family or the or uh, you know a, a husband that might be away and still be true to yourself, would you speak to that so that young families that are facing these same challenges could get some advice from you? Yes. Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Rick, for for saying all that, but you were a very um, formidable force, even though you were not there. Your children spoke to you. We had the highest phone bills of anybody when you you were not there there and I was not in Europe or we were not together, but um, you never missed a beat as a dad. And I always said that you are one of the world's greatest fathers. And fortunately, when we first started dating, I saw that I saw how easygoing you were with the children, the boys who would see your car and run over to my apartment. <laughs> so I, I knew that you would be a great father because you never got tired of kids and you never ran them off. And the way that you treat your treated your nieces and nephews was the same way. So you've been consistent um, with children and young boys 
forever. So I thank you for that. You made it easy to be a good mom. So, um, but I've always had my own goals. And one of the things that Rick and I really admired about each other is that we kind of knew the kind of lifestyle that we had in college. We talked a lot about it and, and um, we decided how old we wanted to be when we had our first child and they were going to be three years apart. And that worked for us. And, and um, when we just started having our children, I knew that I would, Rick was not going to give up his career and I knew I wasn't going to give up my career, but of course having children you do have to take some time off. So I did would take about a year off and go back. And so it was really communication and sacrifice, but not a kind of sacrifice that hurt. It was what we had already agreed upon. So I say it was the agreements that we made that held us together and the trust that we had in each other. And Rick and I really like each other. We really, we were friends before we became lovers and we really like each other and we laugh a lot and we have a good time together. And our greatest challenge, and we're still, even it's been several, many years actually, our greatest challenge was when one of our children uh, fell in our pool and died. And that was something that it, we couldn't just do what we had always done. There was no just getting up and making a decision and bouncing back the way that we had bounced back and moved forward from other little crises. Or we learned that the things that we had gone through that we thought were crashes, they really weren't crashes. So um, that set us back for many years because it was right after Rick retired from basketball. And we really kind of lost our identity because we had so much of our identities in the three children and basketball and modeling and having that great life. And the moment that Justin fell in the pool, everything crashed and we didn't have that anymore. And it's been uh, over 15, 16, 17 years and we're still coming to terms with that. So they say some things you never get over, you just move through. And I believe that's one of the things. So there's a very devastating, what seemed to be <clears throat> on the outside to others, this charmed life and where it all seems to just gel the way it should. And yet a lifetime of small challenges that could sabotage ourselves, sabotage our, our partnerships and this devastating loss of your child and and so what made you stick together rather, rather than tear apart so many, especially child deaths, just tear families to pieces? What is it that kept the glue in your relationships? I'll let you answer, Rick. Yeah, yeah good question. Uh, yeah, because we, we definitely heard that. I definitely heard that before, you know, as far as that. But I would say that just our love for each other, um, and our love for our for our children, uh, I could not I could not uh, see us giving them any more grief, giving them any more pain. I could not see giving my wife any more pain, you know, as far as trying to split or anything like that, because you know because we, the love was so strong for the for the family. Um, I always I always wanted to to raise my kids and have a, have a certain type of family, be a certain type of family man. And that that was just never in the picture, as far as separating, divorcing, anything like that. 
So that 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 never came to the forefront at all. No matter how difficult it, it got for us, that never came into the picture and never came up. And uh, I just think that's a that's just a testament to how how we felt about each other and how we felt about our family staying together, even though it was even though it was tragic and it was it was it was nothing negligent of of anyone's fault. It's just the way that that things turn out, and and I also think that you know we had really good faith, um, good faith uh, base there with with us. I mean, we definitely definitely know God is on our side. So with with that in mind, you know, we, I never had that had that thought. I had that kind of um, incantation to to separate or anything like that. So. It was there was never an issue, but I understand some how people can can go through something so devastating and and don't want to stay together. It's always maybe they doing the blame game or something like that, but yeah, it never came up. Well, then Rick, I'd like to also then, since we're up bumping against the hour clock, I'd like to ask you now. You're in a phase of your life where you've moved through your great career and gone into retirement, lost a child. Face and I work with men that through these stages of their lives, and I ha- and I'd like to ask you, what keeps you from going into isolation? Right, many men, their career and their family are the only two things they have in their lives, and if one of those goes, the man loses a big piece of, uh, of his identity. Who am I if I'm not this superstar? Who am I if I'm not this father? If I don't have these roles, where do I belong? What good am I? Have you faced anything? like that, would you speak to that part, this other transition part of your life? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I never, I never um, thought about thought about that part of it. I mean, it never came to my mind for giving up or going to isolation or going to exile somewhere because, you know, I have so much to live for. I still have so much to live for. I mean, God has a plan for me still. So, you know, right now... Um, and I'm raising, I'm raising my 15 year old to be the best that he could be. I see so many potential, so much potential in him. Um, some someone asked me, uh, "Do I miss the game? Do I miss playing?" And I was like, "I miss it, but I'm playing through my two sons." I know that might sound strange, but every time I see my oldest son play, I mean, just to see him out there in a professional setting playing, I feel what he's feeling. You know, I understand what my youngest son is going through. I feel what he's feeling. I was there. And if I would have had someone like myself to to mentor me as my son now, I mean, I feel so good for him because I'm mentoring him. I'm showing him the way. And that's, that's something that I'm going to stay healthy, stay positive, stay on top of every day, every hour, because I see so much potential in him. I see how much he needs me. I see how much my oldest son still needs me. And that brings you know, purpose so, and meaning. So that's, that's, purpose, purpose and meaning. It's, 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 so, it's such a great feeling to see that. And, uh, you know, some people don't, don't, get that, don't get that feeling. Fathers, because they, they lose the contact or lose lose the communication with the, with their children after a certain age, but 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 for me and my and my my boys, it just gets stronger. 
And also, I would like to interject and say that, Rick, one of the things that I believe that has kept you strong is the friendships that you made with the other guys in Atlanta who also you you played against them in high school, you played against them in college, and you also played against them in the professional setting in the NBA and also in Europe. And those guys are there for Rick. They've been there for him all of these years and they will rally around him. They were with us when uh, Justin was in the hospital and when he died and they get together and they go to the Hawks game. Rick is involved with the, the NBA uh, legends and he's also involved with uh, the Atlanta Hawks legend. So he gets that camaraderie with guys who are perhaps feeling the way that he was, he's been feeling and they can talk about it. And I think that that is important. Maybe it speaks to what you do at the Mankind Project, Glenn, is getting men to be able to have relationships, formidable, um, authentic relationships with other men. Indeed. And as we go to close this program, that's what I'd like to say to our listening audience. So, young men, young women, hear this. Uh, what appears to be a charmed life that we may just see on the television, what seems like all glamour and glitz for all of us, is our personal challenges, family challenges, interpersonal challenges, and risks that need to be taken. Sometimes to fail, sometimes to win. And if I've heard anything throughout this entire program in our series, it's about support. It's about support. So if anybody would like to connect with an organization like ours, um, I'm with the Mankind Project. I can be reached at 312-243-6743. And Chloe Taylor Brown, would you let our audience know how to get a hold of you to help mentor young women and girls? Sure, you can connect with me at ChloeTaylorBrown.com. If you'd like to send me an email, you can send it to Chloe at ChloeTaylorBrown.com. You can find me on Facebook at Chloe Taylor Brown, and you can also tweet me at Chloe T. Brown. And Dr. Thompson, you're starting your Lighthouse Foundation, helping young folks in the schools and in our communities. Please let us know how we can help you. Sure, you can reach me at Dr. T at Dr. T Educates by email. You can reach me by phone at 804-305-0487. And I'm also on Facebook at the Lighthouse Foundation and Dr. T Educates. And you can also tweet me at Dr. T Educates and LEF at Twitter. And Mr. Rick Brown, I want to thank you for being with us. And I know you're starting a mentor program for the young people possibly in the streets. Do you have a connection information uh, source, would you like to be able to have those that want to reach out to you get in touch with you? Yes, you can reach me at uh, on Twitter at, at Rick Brown NBA and also um, by email. Uh, it's abbreviated as RDB2958 at Gmail. Thank you. Thank you all for having us as listeners. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. Bye. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Great. Bye. Bye. Yeah, the ritual, highway to heaven, from seven to seven.
he's got me open like 7-Eleven And yes, it's me, that he's always choosing With him I'm never losing And he knows that my name is not Susan He always has heavy conversation for the mind Which means a lot to me Cause good men are hard to find My man gives real love, and that's why I call him killer. He's not a wham bam, thank you, ma'am. He's a thriller. He takes his time and does everything right. Knocks me out with one shot for the rest of the night. He's a real smooth brother, never in a rush. Shit, he gives me goose pimples with every single touch. Spends quality time with his kids when he can. Secure in his manhood, cause he's a real man. A lover and a fighter, and a knock a knucker out. Don't take him for a sucker, cause it's not what he's about. Every time I need him, he always got my back. Never disrespectful, cause his mama taught him that. I got a good man. What a man, what a man, what a man, what a man. Uh, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a man. 